Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. So before we get into this week's episode, Truck Stop, let's get into the answers from The Fletcher Files pod game number one. Okay, so these were some of the episodes that had similar themes to Alma murder. So the first category was professors and inappropriate relationships in academia. So episode one was lovers and other killers season one, episode five, in which we had professor Todd Lowry, who had a whole wife and was a professor at this school and struck up an affair with Lila. He got a little creepy and (laughs) she got concerned. It's not funny, it's terrifying, but she got concerned. So what does she do? She goes to the Dean of Students to try to get assistance, you know, not putting this guy on blast, but needing to protect herself. Because she has a whole husband who is also high-key, low-key abusive as well. And then she ends up having an affair with, she's married, he's married, so it's an affair on both ends, with this professor who turns out to be just as bad as her husband, perhaps not physically violent, but concerning enough for her to go to basically his boss or boss's boss because he was the dean of the school only for Dr. Edmund Gerard to also enter a relationship with her. And I I don't want to say relationship because he completely took advantage of her and he tried to play it off like, oh, well, you know, my wife had died and I was in a bad place. That does not give you an excuse for taking advantage of a clearly vulnerable young woman just because she was beautiful and just because she had been willing to enter a relationship, enter into an affair with a professor, which, you know, can be arguable about whether that was voluntary or not, but whatever. You assume that she was down with whatever and you took advantage of that. Like, no. The power dynamic, it's not even about age because Lila was clearly in her 20s, but it's the power dynamic. She was a student going to this school. I believe she was a graduate student as well. You see the connections here? Yes, we see the connections here. So yeah, both Professor Lowry was trash as well as, but even more so, Dr. Gerard was even more trash because he took advantage of this woman who was in a vulnerable situation. She was scared of her husband. She was scared of her side piece. And now, you know, in order to get help, she has to sleep with you. That's disgusting. So there you go. Now, (laughs) episode two, moving right along, because I could spend the whole episode going over that drama. Go back and hear that review. It's up. Episode two was School for Scandal, 
season two, episode four. In that episode, we had a female dean of the school. She was either the dean or the president, but I think she was the dean of the school, of the English department. That's what it was. She was the dean of the English department. And there was an associate dean position opening. And there were two qualified, well, three professors going for it, but two were really qualified. So we had Alger, uh, I forget his last name, but Roddy McDowell. Okay, remember? Yeah, yeah, him. And then we had Ron Mercer. Now, Dr. Jocelyn Laird, okay, she told Ron that basically you're going to have to have sex with me in order to get this position. Like explicit, I believe it was explicit. Ron's wife is like, she's trying to get in your pants. Okay. That's what she's trying to do. And he's like, nah, no, I'm qualified. I'm qualified. And then Kat came out the bag and she was like, Yeah, there's going to need to be sex in exchange for this promotion that I know you need because you need the money to survive. So yeah, I don't care if you got a wife at home. I really don't. I don't care if y'all live on campus. I don't care. I don't care who knows this. I don't care what this does to Alger, okay, who clearly is infatuated by me, but I don't care. I don't care. What I care about is getting my needs met and that is up to you. Now, he did not, he went to her house to exchange sexual services for this promotion. Howsoever, he lucked out because Nick went and got himself murdered. Her daughter's like fling of the week that she brought up, they went skinny dipping in the middle of the party, whatever. He, who was also a former student, and I feel like, Based on their dynamic, Dr. Laird at, well, Jocelyn, we'll call her Jocelyn and Nick's, um, their body language made me think that they had a sexual relationship previously, but she wasn't about that now. And he had the nerve to find her daughter and come up here as her plaything, having her daughter think that she got one up on Jocelyn by embarrassing her when Jocelyn's sitting in the cut, like I've had sex with that man multiple times while he was a student here. Okay. We had to kick him out. Cause it got, it got, mm, he, he was a terrible person. He got violent. We had to kick him out, but they give me that dynamic. So that might be another, uh, administrator having an inappropriate relationship with a student. And it, he might've also been a grad student. I don't know. I feel like her daughter was like 30 at this point. So that was episode two. Now, episode three, we have the series of drunk driving leading to blackmail or leading to murder. So episode three was Dead Man's Gold, season three, episode six, in which we had David who was a high school, grade school friend of Jessica. They had grown up together and he pops into town with four young people because they're diving for treasure off the coast of 
Cabot Cove, okay? And two of those people are Kobe and Alexandra. Now, Alexandra gets real drunk and she she is salty. She's salty, yeah. And she gets real drunk and rude and embarrassing. So Kobe is like, I'm sober. I'm gonna go ahead and drive you to your hotel because you're acting a donkey. You really are. So they get in the car. He is trying to drive her back to the hotel. The hotel is not that far because Cabot Cove is not that big. But on the way, Alexandra wants to go back to Jessica's house and keep the party going. And so what she thinks in her drunken state is a good idea is since Kobe is not really paying attention to her and is like, shut up and sit there so that we can get here, get to the hotel safely. She starts to grab the steering wheel. So they're swerving all over. He's trying to hit her off, like push her off. She keeps going back at it. He stops the car and he throws her out. Like he doesn't physically throw her out, but he's like, get out. You walk, you're gonna have to walk because what you're not gonna do, if you wanna go back there, you're gonna walk in these streets, okay? And he gives her $5 for the taxi. Remember, this is like the late 80s. And... 20 cents, I believe, for the phone. So she can make at least two phone calls. And then she stumbles off to the side because where he dropped her off, it was a closed gas station, but there was a payphone outside because again, this was the late 80s. He drives off next morning. She's dead on the side of the road. So yeah, okay. My thing was what I said in that review, if you haven't heard that review, go and check it out, okay? wherever you listen to this podcast. But honestly, he saw how drunk she was and how belligerent she was already acting in front of company, okay? He should have threw her behind in the trunk, okay? Not for nothing, it wasn't that long of a ride, okay? Could have threw her in the trunk, drove to the hotel, popped the trunk, she's home, okay? Y'all both could have died, Okay, both could have died or killed somebody with her, you know, grabbing and spinning the steering wheel to try to make you go back. But whatever, he, it was, he was not responsible for her ending up dead. He did not murder her, nor did he put her in a position to be murdered. Because honestly, well, okay, a lot of people get murdered in Cabot Cove. That's true. And in hit and run homicide, someone did get hit by a driverless car while on the side of the road. So, mm, arguable. But, okay, (laughs) he gave her the means to safely get home. And the area that he dropped her off in was lit. So it wasn't on the dark side of a road. There was plenty of space off of the road for her to safely stand and wait. So... There's that. Now, episode four, we have When Thieves Fall Out, season four, episode two, where we have the senior prom that is chaperoned by coach Kevin Caldwell and his championship winning football players, which he has a really weird relationship with. 
after the fact, because I can understand as a winning team, like your family, there's all this training. You spend probably more time with your teammates and your coaches than you do your regular family, especially if you're that level of professional, even though it's high school, but you know, that to the point where you're state champions. Yeah, that's understandable, but they're grown men. And he's still like referring to them as his boys, as in children boys. And it's weird. And he never got married or had kids. And this is all he has, right? He's still a coach. He's just retiring in this episode. But he doesn't seem to have anything to live for other than this football team that's ever-changing, but his boys from 1964, I think it was. Yeah. So anyway, night of the prom, the kids get drunk, of course, and but Bill Hampton gets the most drunk to the point where he needs to go home and he's trying to drive. OK, he, not only is he trying to drive, he is trying to get his girlfriend to go with him to the hotel motel holiday inn. OK, and get to some adult activities. And she's like, what we're not going to do is that. OK, for one, you are sloppy drunk. And for two, Things don't work right when you're sloppy drunk. So I'm going to need you to go on home and sober up. And so he's trying to drive. The coach is like, no. Okay. So the coach drives Bill in Bill's car, puts him in the passenger seat. They're driving along and Bill wanting to go back to the prom or actually, no, he wanted to go to the diner that everybody was going to after the prom, specifically his group of friends. And the coach is like, no, you need to go home. My, just a second. How is he bringing this drunk boy home to his family? You know what I mean? Like, are you just leaving him on the front door, ringing the doorbell and running off? Like you're driving this boy's car, right? I don't think he was driving his own car. I think he was driving Bill's car. And that's why his girlfriend had to ride with the others. I don't know. But like, how, what is that conversation? Like maybe they, maybe the parents knew like, hey, when we went to prom, we got drunk too. Maybe the legal drinking age was 18 at the time. So maybe it was expected. Okay. Maybe this was not illegal and would have been weird for a teacher to be like, hey, yeah, while under our watch, your son got drunk. Here you go. He's on your doorstep. Bye. So anyway, so as they're driving, Bill wants to go to the diner to hang out with his friends and keep the party going. And so what does he do? Guess. Yes, that's right. He starts to grab the steering wheel to get the coach to turn around. So the coach is fighting him off with one hand, trying to keep the car straight with the other. Another vehicle comes around the bend and ends up getting run off the road by the coach while he's fighting Bill. Now this sobers Bill up almost immediately because he, he stops. He stops messing around with the steering wheel. The coach stops, turns around. I think he has passed the guy. The guy run, runs off the road. The coach gets out. He goes down to check on the guy. The guy is knocked out, but appears to be breathing, I guess. And he sees in the back seat a suitcase or briefcase that's popped open and there's a hundred thousand dollars worth of bearer bonds in there. 
So he's like, oh, trying to decide whether he's going to take it or not. The guy comes to and the coach, instead of playing it off, like, dude, you got a head injury. Like, no, I wasn't going to steal your bearer bonds, closes the briefcase and walks around and helps this man. Instead of doing that, the humane thing, because I'm not going to blame him for stopping and look like, hey, if he did, he ain't going to need these. Okay. Granted, he could have a family, but okay. I'm not going to blame you for, for thinking, okay, and considering. But then when the man comes to, instead of saying, oh, okay, I'm going to get help. I'm going to get help. I'm going to get help. And leaving, closing that back door, leaving his briefcase like it is and running up there and get into that payphone that um, Kobe dropped Alexandra off at, okay, up the road, I'm sure. Same road probably. And calling the police, he walks around and he murders this man. Okay, Bill sees this, but Bill is drunk. And so the coach pays Bill off with $50,000 of the bear bonds. And the coach holds on to his $50,000 and opens a football camp that ends up failing. So yeah, so that was that episode. (laughs) Okay. Now, episode five. Actually, I think I gave them A, B, C, D, and E, but you know what I mean. So episode E, okay. <laughs> this one, like I said, it had to be real sketchy about the details because the proper description would have given the title away. And that is because it is, if the frame fits season two, episode 22. And in this episode, we have Donald Grange or Granger, yeah, who is married to Lloyd's oldest daughter. Now, Donald kills Julia, his wife, Lloyd's daughter, and leaves the scene to make it look like a robbery. Now, before the police come, because if Donald had any sense, as soon as he got to the restaurant out of town, he would have made an anonymous 911 call that the door was open and he was heard like a scream so that the police would come immediately. But he didn't. He goes on about his day and he's going to just come back and find her murdered by a robber. In the interim, however, Lloyd is driving Jessica home so that they, well, to his house, to Lloyd's house, And he's upset because both Jessica and Binky, okay, (laughs) basically tore his manuscript apart. The manuscript that he said his friend who was out of the country and out back or whatever um, had written. Okay, so he, he is trying to play it off, but he's clearly upset because why is he so upset? They're not supposed to know he wrote it, but they do. He sees his daughter, whose house is next door to his, that was his wedding gift to them, was a house next door at Mansion. Not just like your regular house, a mansion next door. And he sees the door open, is like, what? Come to find out, when Lloyd had left Binky's house earlier to get his manuscript for them, because Jessica had conveniently left hers at his house, 
He saw his daughter's door open, went to look in, saw her dead on the floor. He switched up the scene so as to accuse and point to Donald, like tore a button off his jacket, um, changed the painting out from his house to the, from the daughter's house to his house. Why? I think there was blood splatter or something on it, but nobody could have been able to see that anyway. And some other things where he had to, he remixed the scene to frame Donald, not knowing that Donald was in fact the murderer. So when Donald came in, he sees Lloyd there, Jessica, because Lloyd had to bring Jessica in later on to, oh my God, what's happening? My daughter was murdered. This is crazy. Look, she's clutching a button. Oh, that looks familiar. That is from Donald's coat. You know, it was custom made. (laughs) Honestly. So yeah, so we have that and come to find out that Donald actually was the murderer and I'm sure they needed Lloyd to testify about what the scene looked like when he, before he remixed it, okay? And so that the prosecution could set up, you know, the actual, what actually happened and support their theory. So that's that on that, on the game. Now, okay, <laughs> let's get into this week's episode, Truck Stop. So this is season five, episode 16, first aired April 2nd, 1989. And the IMDb summary reads, en route to LA, Los Angeles, Jessica is detoured at a seedy truck stop where a series of murders make it clear she isn't there by accident. So we have a little trivia and It's actually two pieces that I put together in one because they, you'll see why. So it says, this is a homage to the Petrified Forest, 1936. Side note, not to be confused with, I believe, season 11 episode, The Petrified Florist, Murder, She Wrote. Okay, yeah, not to be confused. In which Humphrey Bogart, Betty Davis, and Leslie Howard are stuck together in a diner overnight. The second piece of trivia, which you'll see, Christopher Tabori's character is a homage to the character played by Leslie Howard in The Petrified Forest. Now, apparently, all of Christopher's lines are the exact same lines as Leslie Howard. So they're really out of place. <laughs> okay. I, it, it was a choice. It was a choice. They're really, it, wow. Anyway, so <laughs> let's get into the returners. We have four of them, actually. First, we have Peter Haskell, and we will recognize him as Leland Biddle. From Corn, Beef, and Carnage, season three, episode five. Now, Leland Biddle was the owner of Biddle and Associates, I guess, 
who was using Christine, the very 1980s beautiful, okay, woman. She's not unattractive for these days, but it was a very specific look in the 80s and she had it. She had it, okay? And he was using Christine to try to get the corned beef castle account, okay? And in this episode, he plays Terrence Locke, an insurance, uh, the person from the insurance company. Now, I'm actually going to skip the next person and go back to them because we have a second cast member from Corn Beef and Carnage, that being the actor Ken Swoford. And we will recognize him from a few different episodes. He seems to play the same character in all of them, but okay, there's that. So first we met him as Leo Kowalski in Joshua Peabody Died Here, possibly, season two, episode two, where he was the general contractor. We then saw him as Grover Barth, the corned beef castle owner, right? From Corn Beef and Carnage, season three, episode five. So his was the account that Leland Biddle, actor Peter Haskell, was trying to get. So, you know, a little friends reuniting, right? Then we met Ken again as Sid Sharkey, the producer from Steal Me a Story, season four, episode eight. And in this episode, he plays Sheriff Tugman. And finally, we have Christopher Tabori. And we will recognize him first as Phil Carlson from We're Off to Kill the Wizard, season one, episode seven, in which he was supposed to become the vice president, but then it was snatched away from him. And so he murdered Horatio Baldwin. Then we next saw him as Ernest Fielding in Sing a Song of Murder, season two, episode five. He was the attorney that was trying to help Emma as well and help Jessica to help Emma. And in this episode, he plays Desmond. So this is the character that has line for line the same character as Leslie Howard from The Petrified Forest. All right, let's get into the cast and get into this episode. Okay, (laughs) it's, oof, okay. So we have Vera, Pete, and Flora, Jarek Harris, We have Walter Murray, Terrence Locke, Roscoe, Sheriff Tugman, Desmond, and Grange. So we start out not at the end, but in the middle, okay? (laughs) Where we see Walter stumbling out of a trailer after hearing gunshots and He stumbles out, he gets into his car and he drives to his motel room where he begins to record a tape. The next scene we see the sheriff arriving and he's checking the car. He's looking at the treads on the tire. The headlights are still on, 
mind you, the headlights are still on. I don't even know if this car is still running, but yeah, I'm sure that battery is going to be dead momentarily because apparently he got a call about shots fired an hour ago. Okay, now the shots were fired an hour ago. I don't know when he got the call. But as he's doing that, he goes up to the door of Walter's room and he pulls out a gun because he's the sheriff, right? So he's banging on the door. He's banging on the door. No answer, no answer. He pulls out a gun. Jessica walks around the corner. She's like, hey, hey, what are you doing? And so the sheriff is like, stay back. This, I'm dealing with a dangerous man here. And Jessica is like, Walter is a writer. You can reason with a writer. Now, Jessica, you don't know this man. You literally just met him two days ago. Two days ago. Okay. What type of writing does he do? Okay. So the sheriff is like, well, the fact is someone heard gunshots out outside of town and saw your rental, meaning her and Walter's rental, speeding away. And the tire treads on that rental match the tire treads back at the shooting scene. Okay. And Jessica says, well, I heard him coming an hour ago. So I don't know what you're, you're talking about. And the sheriff says, yeah, that fits like a penny loafer. Okay. Because like, I, I would think a penny in a penny loafer, whatever. So he says, because that's the time that it happened. And so Jessica is looking at the gun. She was like, there has to be some other way. So the sheriff puts the gun away and then rushes, like rushes the, <laughs> like shoulders the door, right? And it pops open. He's like, oh, there was nothing to that door. <laughs> he put a lot more energy into it than needed be. So he went flying like across the room because his momentum. So I'm like, wait, can't you just, ask the manager for a key. You could have asked Jessica to go and ask the manager for a key. So there's that. I don't, okay. So (laughs) if we're just waiting around at this point, you might as well wake the manager up. So Jessica walks in as the, the sheriff keeps going, right? And finds Walter dead with a gunshot wound to his chest and a recorder laying in his hands. And so Jessica is like, why would he return to the room instead of getting help? Apparently what he had to record on that recorder was more important than him getting help. And the sheriff says, well, maybe it will tell us who killed him. So the next scene, we're in the sheriff's office and we're about to listen to the tape. And we find out that Walter and Jessica were, they met in Las Vegas because Walter was writing the screenplay for Jessica's new book or a book that they got a movie option for. And they were returning to Los Angeles. Now, Jessica wanted to fly because she has sense, but Walter insisted on driving. So he rented a car. He didn't even have his own car, rented a car And they set off on the highway. Now they're on the interstate and he starts to pull off. And she's like, I don't think we're supposed to pull off on the interstate at this point. And 
he stops at this seedy truck stop and asks, oh, are you hungry? She's like, no, <laughs> like let's get to Los Angeles. And he's like, oh, great, because I am, and gets out of the car. So Jessica follows suit. They walk in and there is an immediate recognition between Walter and Vera. And Walter's like, what are you doing in a place like this? And Pete, who is the chef and owner, I chef is a very loose term, and owner of the gas station and diner, apparently, he says, yeah, she's working for and married to me. And Vera says, yeah, I've been here 19 years, or it's been 19 years since she last saw, saw Walter. And so they're flirting back and forth, and Pete is on the phone screaming at somebody, okay? And you got Desmond sitting over in the corner just babbling to himself. <laughs> He's saying something that is nonsensical. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe uh, Christopher had an option. Maybe they got an option for this character. And because of Christopher's contract, they need to put him in this episode for some reason. I don't know. Okay. And maybe there was a required number of lines that he had to say based on his contract. I don't know. I don't know if he knows where the bodies are buried. I don't know if someone owed him money. I, I don't know. But this did not make sense. Okay. It didn't. So anyway, so as they're talking, as Vera and Walter are flirting and Jessica is sitting there like, why are we here? This is gross. (laughs) But you know, she's too polite to say that, but that's what she's thinking. Like, why are we here? I'm not hungry. Okay. That guy is babbling to himself over there. He is semi well-dressed. I don't even know what's going on. The owner is screaming at somebody on the phone. You're over here flirting with this woman that you just happened to find here after 19 years. Like, get me out of here. So a motorcycle comes pulling up and it's a guy who has a a young lady on the back and that is Flora. So Flora walks in because the motorcycle is still idling with the guy outside. And Flora walks in. She goes right to the register. She opens it up and she tries to take some cash out. Pete is like, what? Did your boyfriend not hold up any liquor stores this morning? What are you doing? And she's like, I need some money. He's like, get out of here. And Pete is like, what she needs is a swift kick. Okay. Not an allowance. And so Flora says, if you lay one finger on me, I'm leaving this place, right? And I'm like, girl, what, how old is she? Okay, like the question is how old is she? How old is she? Okay, and so she runs out, gets on the back of the motorcycle and they drive off. Walter goes up to the door and says, she looks exactly like her mother did at her age. Okay, now I'm just gonna say this real quick because I looked this up. Because didn't nobody give us any ages. But clearly he's significantly older than Vera. Walter is older than Vera. Okay. And honestly, Pete is older than Vera too. But Walter, I think it's clearer that he's significantly older than Vera. 
Okay. So the actors are 14 years apart. Okay. Walter, the actor who plays Walter was born in 1925 and the actress was born in 1939. So a 14-year difference, which is creepy. Let's assume that she is 40, okay? And it's been 19 years since she was 20. He was 34. Remember that. And that that is being generous, Okay. That is being generous because I couldn't imagine her being any older than like 20 or 21 back then. Like clearly the actress wasn't. Yeah. But for the decisions that were made, I couldn't imagine her being older than like 19 or 20 years old. I doubt if she was in her 30s making these decisions. So there's that. So Pete runs out and he threatens Flora's boyfriend, right? I guess as they're riding off. He then turns around to Walter and tells him to eat up, pay up and get out. And then he walks off. So they, so Walter goes back into the diner the sheriff shows up and he's hitting on Vera and it's like, you, you know, her husband is a terrible person and she's not interested in you. Like what? You're gross. You're gross. Every single character that Ken plays, like, can we please have a redeeming arc for him in some of these episodes? He has like several more. I think he's in 11 total. So I'm trying to remember, but I hope he, he does better. Uh, later in later seasons. So Desmond is babbling and they're like, yeah, the sheriff's like, you got to get out because Desmond is indicating to the sheriff that perhaps he used to be a criminal, the sheriff used to be a criminal before he became a sheriff, which again, does not, it's not fleshed out. It doesn't make sense. I'm sure it did in the petrified Forest, okay, for that character, but Desmond, baby, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, <laughs> so he gets up to leave and he passes out. And so Vera helps him up along with Walter, and they kind of make eye contact and they're like, Hey, you know, we should give this a try. Since I'm here, let's have a conversation. But Desmond is in between them and they're helping him up. And she's like, listen, I'll get you some water and whatever you want to eat. You can stay here the night. It's fine. And he's like, but what about your husband? She's like, don't even worry about him. It's fine. So Jessica pulls Walter to the side and she's like, I don't know how I got here, but I want to leave now. And so Walter's like, okay, okay, fine. So they get in the car and of course it won't start. And he's like, oh, what is the luck? What are the chances? Jessica's not impressed. Okay, she is pissed, but she is too polite to curse this man out. Because I surely would have been like, oh, you need to get me a taxi to wherever I can get a bus to Los Angeles. Or you need to get me a taxi to the airport. Okay, and I will fly the rest of the way to Los Angeles. 
Because I promise you, if I got to sleep here tonight, we are going to lit. I'm bashing you in your face because you did this. You set me up. I don't care about none of your personal business. Okay. I don't care about this girl, this woman who probably, uh, hopefully was at least legal age when your old man behind middle, middle age, um, <laughs> was creeping on her 19 years ago. Okay. So what I need you to do is get me to LA within the next 10 hours. I need to be in a Marriott, a Hilton, a La Quinta, okay, an intercontinental something, okay, in Los Angeles, okay, I don't know what state I'm in, I don't know, listen, okay, this is sketchy, and you put me in this position, you better call somebody to come get me now, but she doesn't do that, because she's go along to get along, she will suppress her anger, and move forward, better her than me, because I, Listen, I told y'all what I would have said. And that would have been nice. Don't let me have been all dressed up. Because you know, when Jessica travels, she puts herself together, okay? <laughs> Just suit on point. If, and you you are not taking me. Now, I love a diner, okay? But you're not going to take me into this greasy spoon in this nice suit. And you want to act like you are just bumping into this woman. You got a whole lie set up and it's not even a good lie. And then you're going to make me, you got, why am I a part of this? You could have let me fly to LA and then you could have drove back here saying that you forgot something in Los Angeles, uh, in Las Vegas and you had to drive back, whatever. This is rude and disrespectful, but then we wouldn't have an episode. So there's that. Anyway, moving on. So the next scene, we're back in present day with Jessica and the sheriff and Jessica listening, they stop the tape and Jessica says he must have went to tinker with the car to get it to not start when he went to get his wallet. And so the sheriff was like, well, if he's so smart, why is he so dead? And she's like, play the tape. Okay. But no, so Jessica says, well, you know, actually before Flora came back, something else happened. And so we have a flashback of Jessica. So this is, this is not on the recording. And so she saw, she went to speak with Walter about like, what's the plan for tomorrow? Cause we need to get out of here at dawn. Okay. What's up with the car? Get it fixed. Get us out of here. And she saw Roscoe, who is the mechanic, lurking outside of Walter's door. Like he was ear hustling. His ear was to the door. Okay. Just standing in. Now it's nighttime, but straight up lights outside. Security lights are blazing. Just ear up to the door. Okay. And the man is like 6'3". Like, so you're not hiding from anyone just walking by. So Jessica clears her throat. And he's like, oh, hey, I was just out for a walk. Yeah, on somebody's porch, listening at their door. Okay, of the motel, Mm, sure. And so Jessica is like, how's the car? And Roscoe's like, what car? (laughs) She's like, you said you could fix it. And so, (laughs) and 
And she's like, we want to leave tomorrow. And Roscoe's like, I want you to leave tomorrow too. Like, then get the car fixed. Like, what are you doing? You standing here listening at the door. You need to go and fix this car. These people, I'm telling you. Now, I wouldn't have said that outside alone with this man without a weapon of some sort. Now, he had a limp, but that don't mean that he don't have the strength to act a fool and hurt somebody. So I I probably would have been like, okay, great. See you in the morning. And went on about my way to Walter's door to speak with him like I planned to do. So Walter opens the door and he seems upset. And Vera is in the room. It appears that she had been crying. And so... Jessica says Walter looked distracted and it was as if he heard something surprising, right? And whatever it was, clearly Roscoe heard Vera tell Walter whatever she told him. So then they go back to the tape and Walter is at the point that Flora returned with Grange. Now he does not know, well, one, he does not mention the meeting with Vera and what Vera told him on the tape. And of course he does not know that Roscoe was standing outside the door. So Jessica fills that in. So Flora returns with Grange, her boyfriend and Pete is drunk and he ends up slapping Flora and calling her a whore like her mother. Now Roscoe comes up and tries to calm him down and Pete just, you know, basically runs Roscoe off. And so Grange steps up and is like, what you going to do? What you going to do? Pete swings at him. Of course, misses because Pete is drunk, drunk. He was able to hit Flora because she did not expect it coming. And she was standing much closer to him than Pete was standing to Grange when he swung, when Pete swung at Grange. So what Grange did, he gave him a two-piece and a biscuit, okay? A one-two, a one-two, okay? Old man stumbled because he, he lost his balance and fell to the ground, okay? And he was just like stunned, okay? So Grange is like, I did not mean to do that. I did, but I didn't. Clearly Grange has warrants, Clearly he has warrants because he hopped on his bike and Flora was like, let me go with you. He was like, no, you can't go with me. Basically, if you go with me, then your father is going to call the police. The police are going to be after me and I have warrants and I don't want to go to prison. Now he ain't saying all of that, but that's exactly what is happening. Facts are facts. Okay. (laughs) Context clues. So Pete is helped up and stumbles off and Walter says to himself that this is the last straw, that he was going to take Vera away from this. Now he's walking down, I guess, back to the hotel. He's just in town and he hears banging in the local garage where his car is. And this is all on tape. This is what he's, this is his story that he's sticking to, right? And he goes in, he says he sees Pete hitting his car with a tire iron and, you know, telling him to get out of town. He then comes after Walter, 
saying that if you want her, you'll have to kill me first. So Pete is so drunk that he misses Walter, just like he missed Grange. And Walter is able to get the tire iron out of Pete's hand. And he says that he took him up on his offer. And so he hit Pete with the tire iron. Then he pulls Pete's knocked out body or unconscious body, pulls it under the lift where Walter's car is and lowers it down so it crushes Pete, making it look like an accident. And then Walter says, so now you know it, I'm the one who killed Pete. So they stop the tape and Jessica says, well, that doesn't explain who killed Walter. We still need to know that. And so the sheriff is like, well, we still have half a tape to go. So they turn the tape back on and basically Walter is saying no one would believe it was self-defense. So I had to make it look like an accident. Now, my thing is he's saying people wouldn't believe it was self-defense because Pete was so drunk that you should have been able to avoid it. But a clock, a broken clock is right twice a day. So it only had to take him a bunch of, you know, he could have swung, he could have threw it at you and it hit you. He could have kicked you, anything. So you feared for your life. I don't know. And people know how, I'm sure in that town, know how violent that Peter, that Pete is. I think they would believe you. And plus you're out of towner. I think they would believe you. Well, if they knew that you had a thing with Vera 19 years ago. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't. (laughs) With that piece of information, no, I do not think they would believe that it was self-defense. And then Walter is like, it would have looked like an accident and that dumb sheriff would have believed it. But for that busybody Fletcher... And he calls the sheriff a lard bottom lawman, okay? And so (laughs) they are both like, excuse me, the disrespect. But he's dead, so there's nothing you can do about it. This is like memorialized. And so they flash back to the scene of Pete's death, so the mechanic shop. And Jessica is saying in this flashback, well, why was he working under the car with no tools? And so she's like, the, everything is so far away from him. It doesn't make sense why he would have been under there. His, the light wasn't even near him. And so the sheriff was like, oh, it was made to look like an accident. It had to be Grange, the daughter's boyfriend. So we go back to the tape and we find that Walter planted Grange's glove because he was standing there when the sheriff said it must have been Grange but we need evidence of that he Grange dropped his glove when he went to pick up Flora the next day and so Walter picked it up and he planted it in the mechanic shop the sheriff found it and arrested Grange now It clearly wasn't there the day before, okay? I'm sure they did some level of search, but the sheriff was so hell-bent on arresting somebody, specifically Grange, because he got got beef with everybody. The sheriff got beef with Pete. The sheriff got beef with uh, Grange. The sheriff got beef with Desmond, okay? (laughs) 
everybody. So he was happy to have something to give to the DA. So Flora then goes to visit Walter and she is so desperate to get out of town, right? That she is like, well, maybe you need some company back in LA. Girl, I am concerned. Okay. I am very concerned that this old man, okay. Now he old now. Okay. He is old now. He's a cool 65. Okay. A, a 65. Okay. And she is at best 18, at best 17, 18 years old. Okay. And you are talking about if he needs company back in Los Angeles and the way she said it was as if adult activities would be required for her stay in LA because she's that desperate to get out of this small town. I am saddened and concerned for this young lady because her mom ain't no help, okay? My thing is, I could understand, mm, your daughter is dating this dangerous type guy or a guy with warrants, uh, a guy that y'all believe holds up liquor stores, he's a robber, he's a thief, burglar, whatever, okay, criminal on the run, because she believes that once he gets enough money, they can get out of town. Okay, I'm like, but he has a whole motorcycle. You know he could sell that and y'all could get bus tickets out of there. (laughs) Girl, he ain't trying to leave. He is not trying to leave. But her mom sees this. And instead of, you know, she's telling the father, you should really give her an allowance. Ma'am, the girl is like 17 or 18 years old. Okay, for one... You should have been giving her an allowance when she was a child, child, okay? Maybe for chores, maybe working at the diner, cleaning up something. This girl don't have nothing to do during the day. She's clearly not in school, okay? What is she doing? What responsibilities does she have? At the very least, you could have been slipping her $10, $20 a week so that she could put money together to get out of there. You know she wants to get out of there to the point that she's dating this criminal, And she's going to Walter, this old man, talking about, hey, maybe you need some company. You want to party tonight? Like that type of situation for your child? Girl, but Vera is selfish and we're going to find out about that real soon. So Walter is like, no, you should really stay here with your mother. And she's like, listen, I'm already packed up and I'm ready to go. If it ain't you, it's going to be somebody else. Now, how scary is that? So Vera pops out of the closet or wherever, or the bathroom, wherever she was hiding. I was like, oh, this isn't what it looked like. It ain't what it looked like. Girl, it, it looks suspicious. Okay, your husband ain't even cold yet. Okay, he is not even cold. It hasn't even been 24 hours since your husband was died. Okay, we don't know if it's a murder yet. He's, it's an accident since he died. And you're like, you know, instead of telling your daughter, listen, I, I got to get this stuff together. Like once we settle everything with your father's death, I will give you 
the money to go. Okay. I just really need you because, you know, your father died. It was unexpected. I need your emotional support. I need to know you're safe. I can't deal with you being out there and I don't know where you're at and having to deal with the loss of your father. Like, I just need, give me two months, give me two months and I promise you, I will give you enough money to get out of here and to get a place wherever you want to get a place. Okay. I promise you. And that, that's the response. That's the response. Cause your girl got to go. She got to get out of here. Cause she going to mess around. She's going to hitchhike, get, get murdered. Okay. She going to end up messing around with Grange and getting arrested because he gets caught on some warrants or he tried to run from the police, get in the accident. Now she dead. You, you know, she with some old man who came to the truck stop. Maybe he got teeth, maybe he don't, but he's willing to get her a ride out of there. She end up being kidnapped and killed. None of this stuff is what you want. So why are you, I can understand now, Okay, but you saw for years that she wanted to get out of there. You saw how bad Pete treated her for years. But at no point did you take her to the side and be like, sweetheart, I understand you don't want to get stuck here. Okay, I, I don't want this for you either. But I'm. this is what we're going to do. This is a plan, you know, and sketch something out. But you don't care about that. Not, you don't care about nothing, okay? You don't care about your husband. You don't care about your daughter. You ain't doing nothing but just existing, watching the door every time it open, hoping for Walter to come back. Like, I don't even know. Like, you don't even love Walter, to be honest. So anyway, Flora is like, I ain't trying to be here stuck like you. Girl, that's not my, that is not my ministry. That is not my future. That is not my destiny. That is not my purpose. I am getting out of here. And there is nothing you can do about that. See, now, if you had become an ally to her, then you would have had somebody there with you when she knew, okay, two months, I can do two months. Then she probably would have got rid of Grange. Okay. But that's not what y'all did. That's not what y'all did. So the next scene, we have Walter and Roscoe. And Walter has gone to the mechanic shop to see, to check on the status of his car. And Roscoe, he confronts Roscoe about Pete. And Roscoe says, I kept the Chevy on the lift and claimed that I couldn't fix the, whatever was wrong, the water holes, whatever, whatever. Because Pete was a drunk and he would drive in his drunken state. So in order to save his life and others, I refused to give him his car back. And this was the only way I could do so without him, I don't know, beating me to a pulp. Okay. So we find out that they were both in the military together. And so Walter is like, well, what's up with my car then? And Roscoe says, well, somebody disconnected the fuel line. And so basically what we get is that Roscoe knows that Walter killed Pete and he wants 
Walter to pay him money, at, uh, apparently a very large amount of money, and to leave town. So Walter agrees and they are scheduled to meet at Roscoe's trailer, which is right outside of town. So Walter goes there. He plants Pete's murder weapon. So the tire iron that he used to hit Pete, he plants that in Roscoe's truck because Roscoe lives on the outskirts of town. And so his truck is unlocked. Like he, he's like, whatever, I'm in front of my trailer. Nobody else is here for miles. Well, clearly not too many miles because people heard gunshots. So Walter went into this planning to murder Roscoe, point blank, period. He was very clear about that. So he goes in and apparently, because he's going to set it up to make it look like it was in self-defense and people would believe that, whatever. He has a whole story put together. But Roscoe is not stupid and he had a gun too. They both shoot at the same time, but apparently Walter for some reason is a better shot because although Walter does die from this gunshot, he has enough time to leave the trailer, get in his car, drive however many miles back to the motel, get out of the car and tape this entire tape, okay? Before dying, all right? So, but Roscoe like seizes up and dies on the spot. Okay, so I don't understand how Walter would be a better shot than Roscoe. I just feel like the lifestyles they appear to have lived, that Roscoe would be much more comfortable with a gun. And yeah, I I, I would just assume that Roscoe was just more comfortable and uh, especially because Roscoe was in the military, but maybe a handgun isn't his jam. So he's maybe not as comfortable with it. So he shot well enough to not immediately kill, but to disable the threat. So I guess maybe he wasn't trying to kill him, but get his points across because had Walter gotten help, he would have survived. He wouldn't have bled out. He would have survived. So yeah. But then we wouldn't have a story if Roscoe also survived because Walter was a terrible shot. Yeah. Okay. There's that. So then he says, Walter on the tape says that now, you know that I killed Pete to get Vera and I killed Roscoe to keep her. Because Roscoe knew that Walter killed Pete. And so the sheriff is like, we got to get to Roscoe's. So my, my question is, why didn't you look in the trailer when you went the first time? Because remember, he said that there were tire tracks there, okay, that matched the rental and that they saw the rental car coming from that area. And Roscoe's the only one who lives over there. Why didn't you, how, where did you see the tire tracks that wouldn't make you go, okay, there were gunshots. I see the tire tracks. Let me go into this trailer 
Roscoe, are you there? Because Roscoe's car was there. Are you there? Are you okay? You're not responding. Oh my God, he's dead. What? Why were the gunshots not further investigated and y'all went running to find this man? Whom, the shooter? I, I think you need to know if someone needs assistance for having been shot because their lives could be saved. If you lose the person who shot them, that's terrible, but it's worse to lose the victim because you didn't get them help in time. Now, Walter is dead and gone already, but I'm just saying the purpose, <laughs> like the principle is that you need to find if there are any victims first before you go running for a suspect. Anyway, and especially after you saw that his car was there, that this rental car was at the motel where Walter was staying. You did you went to confront him. You did not get in your car and go back to try to find where if there were any victims. You didn't even send other people because there wasn't a radio call like, hey, we're over at Roscoe's and he's in here dead. You know what I mean? Like they the sheriff and Jessica go back to Roscoe's, go in there and Roscoe is dead, shot through the heart, point blank. So now they have Roscoe's dead body. So Jessica is like, okay, yeah, this isn't wrapped up because I got questions. She's like, why didn't Walter come and speak with me instead of putting it all on tape? And the sheriff says, maybe he thought you would disagree with him. He's like bleeding out and she's like, I don't, mm, I don't really think that that was an appropriate action. <laughs> he didn't want the judgment before he died, but taking a sidestep, that was the smartest thing he could do because it's a dying declaration. So he knows he's dying. Any confessions that he makes, any admissions that he makes can be used in a prosecution. I don't, you can't prosecute a dead man, but if there's somebody else that is involved, it can be used against them. So there's that too. It is the best evidence because instead of you having to testify and be cross-examined about all of the dead bodies that you have encountered, Jessica Beatrice Fletcher. You don't have to do that because there is the audio tape, okay? It's exactly what he says, exactly what he meant. Yeah, he lied about this confession. So there's, spoiler, yeah, there's that. But if he had been telling the truth about everything, this would have been the better piece of evidence than him coming to you to tell you this, okay? Now, the question should have been, why didn't he get help and go to the district attorney? Not to the sheriff, because the sheriff, you know, he, he ain't the one to go to. And why would I go to Jessica? Not for nothing, why would I go to you? You're not law enforcement. I barely know you. I literally just met you, okay? And I don't know, especially after, you know, all those questions about Pete's death being an accident, I'm definitely not going to confide anything in you, okay? 
Anyway, so Jessica says, well, why didn't he seek help for the gunshot wound? And why was it necessary to kill Pete? And the sheriff says, well, why lie on your deathbed? As in not tell the truth. Because <laughs> lie can mean two different things. But especially on a deathbed. But why tell these mistruths on your, when you're dying? Like why, why lie if you're dying? So Jessica says, mm, I don't know, but obviously to cover up for somebody else. So the next scene, we're in Walter's room. Jessica is packing up and Vera comes in and she's looking for his stuff. And she says, oh, like, where, where's his stuff? And Jessica says, well, the sheriff took it. Um, no, she said, did the sheriff take his stuff already? And Jessica says, no, the state police took it because they're the ones who were looking into it. And so Jessica is like, I'm just trying to get out of here. Um, and it comes up that she doesn't drive. And so Vera's like, oh, you should have told me because there's one bus that comes through and it already left for the day. And there's not another one to, until tomorrow morning. And so Jessica's like, oh, geez. And Vera starts to get weepy. And she's like, it, it's terrible that, you know, this situation is a coincidence that I meet Walter after all these years so randomly, and then he gets snatched away from me. And Jessica says, it's not a coincidence. He insisted on driving from Los Angeles to, from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. And my question is, how did he know you were here? And Vera's like, oh, I have no idea. I haven't spoken to him or had any contact with him in 19 years. And so at this point, Flora comes in. And she's acting more upset about Walter dying than about Pete, which is interesting because she doesn't know what Vera told Walter, okay? She, she doesn't know that for sure. So, you know, it's weird that she's this upset for the death of someone she didn't even know. Now, she had met him. She had offered services to him in order to get to Los Angeles, but she's like distraught as if she knew the real circumstances. And so Jessica's like, oh, you know, um, basically like, yeah, it's hard to, to lose someone like that. And Vera's like, Flora hardly knew him. And so... Flora's like, yeah, yeah, he was just a nice man. That's why I'm so upset. And so Jessica says, well, I can't believe, you know, he confessed to all of this stuff. And so suddenly Flora is like, what? He, he, he confessed to killing Pete? Now, she don't call her parents mom or dad or nothing. Okay, she calls them Vera and Pete. She's like, he killed Pete? Oh, oh. That means that they'll release Grange. And so she runs off to speak with the sheriff. So she's outside and she's sidling up to the sheriff. She's like, yeah, so you got to let Grange go. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I did. Um, and she's like, well, where is he? 
And so she was like, so the sheriff is like, yeah, he got out of town. Like I released him hours ago and he had it straight out of town. And she's like, no, no, you're lying. You're lying. And so Jessica comes out, Vera comes out. And of course, Flora is embarrassed and got played, right? She was talking cash money, okay? And she was going to run off with grain. She was like, he just needs to put enough money together for us to leave. I told you homeboy had warrants, okay? And he was like, oh, so they're letting me go? All those warrants didn't drop? I'm out of here. And he was gone with the wind. Fabulous. (laughs) So... Jessica goes up to ask the sheriff if he found an envelope in Walter's items. And he says no. And Jessica says, well, he was referring to one, like looking at one as we drove here. So, you know, and she's like, I also have some other questions. Like, why would Pete attack the car? He was very anxious for us to leave. And so the sheriff was like, he was drunk. He wasn't thinking straight. And Jessica is like, well, where are the dents in the car that he allegedly made with the tire iron? You're hitting a car with a tire iron. You know, there's going to be dents unless it was a Saturn view back in the early 2000s. But that's not they had the commercial where the kid just ran straight into the car and bounced off and no dents. Yeah. So (laughs) this was before that. And so. The sheriff was like, maybe he messed up some details. Like he was dying. Like give him a break. The sheriff said, in addition to that, Walter's bullet is the one that killed Roscoe. And Walter had powder burns on his hands. Okay. So the next scene, we're at the diner. Desmond is making himself at home. He's pouring a cup of coffee. He sits down to speak with Jessica. While they're sitting there, Terrence Locke arrives and Vera walks out of the back area and he introduces himself that he's from the life insurance company. He's from an insurance company, he says. And so Vera is like, yeah, this really isn't a great time for you to be here trying to sell me life insurance or insurance. And so he's like, no, I'm here to disperse a check. I'm here to disperse Pete's $250,000 life insurance policy. And Vera is like, oh my God, he never told me. This is, oh my goodness. And so Terrence is like, uh, didn't you call our company yesterday, two hours after your husband died? And so Jessica and Desmond are looking at her like, what? And Vera's like, oh no. And she's shaking her head and she's just like confused, but excited that she's, this money is coming through. So Jessica takes Terrence to the side. Well, actually to the mechanic where the scene of the crime, I think she takes him to Pete's, to the mechanic shop. I don't know who owns it, but the mechanic shop. And she says it was no accident. Now the sheriff earlier, the sheriff gave her the police paperwork and was like, this case is closed. It's done. We have, the, I have the best type of suspect, a dead one. And you can keep that for, you know, your scrapbook or whatever. And so Jessica actually read 
what was in there and she read the autopsy. And so she tells that to Terrence, like there are some, based on the head wounds, it doesn't, this, this ain't what it is. Okay. His head wounds were to the back of his head. And according to Walter, Pete was coming at him. So you would assume that he would have hit him in the front of his head. And so Jessica asked, well, was it Vera who called you? And Terrence is like, actually, I didn't speak with her. A woman called and spoke to my secretary, but she didn't identify herself. So I assumed that it was Vera. So the next scene, they're in the sheriff's office. Um, Jessica is asking, you know, did you previously have a problem with Desmond? And the sheriff was like, yeah, he was trying to steal an item from a client of mine back in Texas. And so Jessica was like, oh, you were a sheriff in Texas? He was like, no, I was kind of in my own private um, business, right? So that sounds shady. And so, (laughs) but anyway, Terrence is like, I agree. It wasn't an accident. And so the sheriff's like, where are you getting that from? And Jessica says, oh, the report that you said I could keep. He was like, (laughs) sheriff was like, I knew I'd regret this. So Jessica then says the autopsy report says that Pete was clubbed from behind, but Walter said he was coming straight at him. And so the sheriff's like, why would he lie? And Terrence says, well, he's probably lying to protect someone else. And Jessica says, well, the wounds were not deep enough to kill him. And Terrence says, oh, well, maybe that's because it was a woman, perhaps the beneficiary. And so the sheriff was like, what I need you to do is to not pay the policy. And Terrence is like, but Vera is not the beneficiary. What I haven't told you guys is that Flora, the daughter, is the beneficiary. Dun, dun, dun. What? Yeah. So the next scene, Terrence is driving Jessica, I guess, back to the diner slash motel, hotel, Holiday Inn. And he asked her, do you think that Flora could kill her father? And Jess says, it's likely that Pete was not Flora's father and that Walter was in fact Flora's father. And if I could figure that out, I'm sure that Flora could as well. So there's a flashback and we're seeing from Jessica's perspective that interaction between Vera, Flora, Pete, Grange, and Walter. Walter was just kind of standing by help, you know, supporting Vera. So Jessica saw Pete slap Flora and say that she was a quote, whore like her mother, end quote. And so Jessica thought that was a reference to Flora and Grange, but could have, but Pete could have found out that Walter is Flora's father. And so Roscoe could have told Walter, told Pete, because he was listening slash lurking outside of Walter's door earlier in the evening when it appears that Vera told Walter 
about Flora being his daughter. Jessica then mentioned that when they first met that Walter was kind of flirting with Flora, but after that he acted much more fatherly. And I don't know, I didn't get that flirting vibe. I think when he like walked to the door and was watching her leave, that's what she took at, because they had like, did they even, they didn't even talk to each other to each other. They didn't even acknowledge each other. And he walked to the door saying to himself, she looked exactly like her mother did at that age, but I didn't necessarily get creeper vibes from him about like watching her. I think he was just reminiscing about a time when they were both younger, not Flora, obviously before Flora existed when he and Vera were together originally I think that's what he was seeing. He wasn't seeing Flora and Grange. He was probably seeing him and Vera. So I didn't, I didn't take it as him creeping on Flora. And I didn't see, maybe there was a missing scene or something. I didn't see him flirting with her at all. And then by the time Flora came up to him in his hotel room and was like, maybe you need some company in Los Angeles, I don't think he would have taken her up on her offer to begin with. You know, he doesn't seem like a creeper at 65. Okay, maybe he was at 45, but <laughs> like, I don't, he didn't give that vibe off, right? So by that point, Vera had already told him that Flora was his daughter. So that wasn't going to happen anyway. Although, well, he was... Her mom wanted her to stay. That's why he wasn't like, you know what? I know you really want to get out of here. So I'm going to, you don't have to keep me company in LA or whatnot. I'm going to give you some money so that you can get a, a flight somewhere or take the bus um, and get, you know, maybe a few months staying somewhere, you know, just to get out to see, you know, if you like being away from here and you can get a job and all of that, I can help you. But he, his hands were tied because her mom wanted her to stay there and needed her to stay there. So he couldn't offer her that assistance. So Jessica and Terrence are trying to figure out how do we know it, whether Flora knew that Walter was her father or not or that she was entitled to this $250,000. So Jessica goes to Flora's room and Flora opens the door and Jessica says, oh, I'm sorry about your father's death. And Flora is like, yeah, Pete was really like, whatever. And Jessica says, and I'm sorry to hear about Pete. And so Flora says, oh, so you know too, everyone knew but me. My mom told me literally a half an hour ago. And so she's packing and she's like, well, why, you know, where are you going? And she's like, I, I got to get out of here. Like, how are you getting out of here? Right. And she says, oh, well, Mr. Locke from the insurance company is going to drive me to L.A. or wherever. And so. Flora is like, can he fit another person? Like, I, I got to get out of here. I, you know, I, can I hitch a ride? 
which lets Jessica know that she is still so ready to get out of here. There's no way that she's expecting or waiting on any money. So the next scene, we're at the diner and Terrence is having Vera sign a bunch of paperwork. And so Vera asks, well, what is this all for? And Terrence says, well, because the beneficiary is a minor, her living parent has to sign the paperwork or an adult has to sign the paperwork on her behalf. And she's like, what? It's like, yeah, your daughter. And so Vera was like, wait, wait, what? No, that, that can't be right. And Terrence has said, Terrence says, oh, that's not, ex- that's not exactly how you had this planned. And Vera's like, I- I'm just surprised. And so Vera, well, no, he, Terrence says you made a, you made one mistake. And so Vera threatens him. Like, I'm going to tell your supervisors or whatever that you did something. And so Terrence says, yeah, the mistake, you forgot to destroy the letter. And so Vera says, when I walk out of here, I'm calling your main office and I'm going to make sure you get fired. So Terrence is just sitting there smirking. Okay. She walks out, she runs to Vera, runs directly to her room and gets out the letter. Well, the envelope that she mailed to Walter giving him the address and whatever. So she tries to light it on fire, but the sheriff and Jessica are like in the next room and they're like, thank you. I was like, you didn't sense that there were other people. I guess she was in a rush that she didn't even realize there were other people in her apartment. So Jessica breaks it down. All of the coincidences that weren't coincidences that They had to drive from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, that they conveniently exited the interstate at this exit, that he walks into a diner that he's never been to and he finds a woman he hasn't seen in 19 years. And so Vera is like, you're saying I killed Pete for what? A plug nickel? And Jessica says, no, what it's for what you thought you were received. Flora didn't know about the health, the life insurance policy. And so the sheriff says, you hit him from behind, then rolled him under the car and dropped it on him. And Jessica says, you eventually realized that you needed help. So you told Walter, who then planted the glove and killed Roscoe in order to save the woman he loved and felt that he had wronged all those years ago. And Vera says, he never wronged me. And the sheriff says, you set him up. And Vera says, well, Flora is Walters. I didn't even know I was pregnant before Walter up and left. I told my parents and they disowned me. And so at the time, I guess she was, she must've been dating Pete at the time too, because she said that she was skinny enough that she was able to fool Pete into marrying her and claim that their daughter was premature. And so Vera confirms that Roscoe told Pete and the fact that she had to kill him or he'd kill, that Pete would kill Vera and or Walter. 
And so they were like, yeah, what about the money? And Vera says, Pete owed me for all of those years. So Vera is obviously arrested by the sheriff. And as she is getting in the car, Flora runs up and she says, Flora, don't ever let a man ruin your life. And then she gets in the car, into the back of the police car, and they start to drive off. And she looks back. Vera looks back. She sees them. She turns around. She's like, step on it. As if she's in a rush to get to prison. (laughs) And the fact is, she wanted to get out of there too. But she was stuck. She was stuck. She might not have had any, you know, Well, the thing is, she was helping to run a diner. So, like, I don't understand why she didn't just pick up Flora and leave. Pete was horrible. And the thing is, she had enough skills. Because if you're cooking at a diner, you could have got a job as a waitress at another diner on another exit. You know, that don't ask questions, don't need a resume, don't need a curriculum vitae, nothing. Right? And just picked her, picked up Flora and went. Like, I don't understand. Like, y'all didn't seem to be living the high life. So you could have left. But now she's finally getting out of this place. Unfortunately, it's to go to prison. And she played herself. She played herself. Just like Donald Grange played himself. He took, what, a $1 million bet and I lost? She took a $250,000 bet and lost. Now Flora's gonna get it and Flora's still like, uh, yeah. So (laughs) Jessica asked, oh, do you still need that ride? She's like, yes, please. I gotta get out of this place. But the fact is like now you own this. Like she, I'm assuming Pete owned this property, like the diner and the gas station. So, which probably had the mechanic shop in it. So he owned that too. So I'm thinking that even though Flora is not his biological daughter, he probably just found out like a day before. So he didn't have time to change his life insurance policy beneficiary. He didn't have an opportunity to change his will, which probably said that it's going to the wife, but the wife is going to prison for murdering him. So I'm sure it's then going to go to the daughter. Yeah. like (laughs) Girl, you own this, but girl, get out of there. Get out of there. You got $250,000 live your best life. Don't spend it within the year. Okay. Get you a nice little, um, apartment, something rent controlled preferably, or a nice small condo of some sort and get a job, invest the money or put it under your mattress. However y'all did in the, in 1989 so that you have a future away from this truck stop. And if it comes out that you do now own it, sell that sucker. Get whatever you, what money you can get, get it, okay? Girl, get it and then put that money away or use it to buy a home, whatever. Live your best life, 
Okay. And stay away from Grange. Okay. Stay away from him. He's in the wind, but don't let him come pop up because he heard that you got $250,000. Now he's on a search for you. Do not mess around with Grange or anybody who reminds you of him, anyone with any of those characteristics, run girl, run. Okay. (laughs) Run to your gated community or your secured building away from such people. Okay. So that's that on that. A eh, episode. Okay. (laughs) It's just, it's the deceit for me. It's the mother killing the father. Now, granted, he was a terrible person. And my thing is, I'm not going to, and especially because you know that that's not her father, You're even if it is her father, I'm not going to let some man, I don't care if she got half your DNA, I'm not going to watch some man slap my daughter in the face and I'm just standing there. Somebody got to die tonight and it's going to have to be him. Okay, Walter, I'm going to need you. Grange, I'm going to need you. All right, because the thing is, he ain't walking out of here after he done slapped her and called her a whore. I don't care what you call me, all right? I did, well, I wouldn't be married to you if you out here calling people whores and stuff like that. But I ain't tricking nobody into believing that's their baby either. So like, this is not my life. But <laughs> under these circumstances, he had, I'm not mad that she killed Pete. Okay. I'm, I'm not even mad about that because he did, he was terrible and he slapped your daughter in the face. Like just it, a straight backhand, like she was a grown man. Okay. So yeah, no, he had to die. He had to die. Um, so I'm cool with that. Roscoe should have minded all of his own business. He want to be out here blackmailing people and sometimes the black male E kills the black male or, okay? And that's what happened. Now you thought you were smart, but you ain't getting no money. You got a bullet to the chest, okay? Like, why would you have him come to your house? You should have met in some desolate area because best case scenario, you got the money and then shot Walter, how are you disposing of his body? Now you got to dispose of his body. There's blood all over your place. It's a trailer. You can't have people, you don't got money like that to get it professionally clean. And then if you do, people looking at you sideways, where'd you get this money? Did you steal it? What happened? Where's that Walter guy? Did you murder him? Too many questions. But anyway, that's that on that. So we got through it. I told you we would get through it and we would have a great time. And we did. So next week, we will be talking about the sins of Castle Cove. When I tell you the author of the sins of Castle Cove is annoying, okay? We get some Loretta's ladies, so there's that. But Corrine, annoying. The author of the sins of Castle Cove, annoying. But we're going to get through this together, as we always do, okay? So we have Jessica and Loretta's Ladies, and it's a Cabot Cove episode. So we're going to have a great time next week as well. So until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook Meta at the Fletcher Files Pod on Facebook Meta. 
And of course, the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. If you're not on it, get into it. Okay. Okay. Because if you have not heard the Lifetime movie reviews, the Hallmark movies and mysteries reviews, okay, the Murder, She Wrote book series reviews, you are missing out. You are missing out. Okay. And it's cheap, but quality. Okay. (laughs) Until next time, promise me you will have an amazing week and I will do the same. Until then, bye.